0: Today's episode of the Strength Doc Podcast, hosted by UpDoc Media, is brought to you by The Arc from Verve. If you want to improve your posture, The Arc has you covered. Developed by a physical therapist, designed by an engineer, made in the USA, The Arc is going to improve your posture and relieve that neck and back pain once and for all. What is up, guys? Welcome to the brand new Strength Doc Podcast, hosted by UpDoc Media, with me, Dr. John Wilson. I want to get one thing clear. This is not going to be your average fitness podcast. I'm sure as hell not your run of the most strength coach. What's going on, guys? Dr. John Russin back with the Strength Doc Podcast hosted by UpDoc Media. We have another heavy-hitting guest with us this week. We have the glute guy, Brett Contreras. Brett is one of the most notable biomechanists in the world, especially as it centers around athletic performance, strength training, and obviously, glute training. Brett is truly one of the most influential individuals in the fitness industry today. Along with being one of the most notable authors in the past decade in our industry, Brett is also taking to his original research and changing the game of strength and conditioning. Let's get right into it, guys. Here's my conversation with the glute guy, Brett Contreras.
1: What's going on, Brett? Hey, John. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It, it took us a couple of weeks to get this scheduled, but I'm so happy to have you here today because I know a lot of our listeners are just itching to hear what you have to say about a couple different subjects. And I'm actually itching to ask you a couple questions personally because I know um, from your experience and your expertise, you're definitely a guy that people want to hear from, especially in the strength and conditioning industry.
1: Well, thank you. I appreciate that.
0: (laughs) Made you sound pretty amazing, right? (laughs) (laughs) So you've been traveling for the last couple of weeks, right?
1: Yeah, I've uh, done San Diego last week, and uh, I was in Barcelona, um, Spain before that, and then Vegas before that, and then Norway before that. So (laughs) the flight home from Norway, I, I lost my luggage they still haven't found it, and uh, yeah, America Airlines lost my luggage, and it's it's been a quite the experience. I've learned that they don't uh, like you call their department to try to ask questions, and they don't answer calls. That's an automatic voicemail, and they don't call you back. So it's <laughs> impossible to get a hold of anyone. So I've left four messages because they say you need credit card receipts for everything that you lost, and I'm like, I don't have any credit card receipts. <laughs> And here's what's funny, I always, you see, like historically, when I go speaking places, I always dress, you know, I'm not a nice, I'm not a, you know, stellar dresser, so (laughs) I'm like, I'm going to step it up this year, so I bought four slim fit Hugo Boss, you know, collared t-shirts and, (laughs) and, you know, like $200 a piece, so I had like $800 of shirts, and then You know, probably over well over two thousand dollars worth of stuff. Even my powerlifting belt and my hip circle and my bands that I brought. But what's funny is the most sacred item to me was like you know a three dollar training journal. I have every workout I've done since I was like eighteen or twenty years old. I have every workout. I have books with every single workout I've ever done. And now now there's a six month gap missing.
0: You're going to see some guy in Barcelona just getting jacked out of his mind like point pulling 700 like next no, it was year in <laughs>
1: Dallas. It happened in Dallas. Oh, it happened in Dallas. When you fly back so I had a connecting flight, you know, so I went Barcelona to Dallas, Dallas to Phoenix and when you when you touch down in the US, this is a US policy you have to recheck your bags. So right. Yeah, and it's funny I I I just want to I want to go there to the Dallas airport and go, "Can I just, you know, never left Dallas. So it's somewhere in the Dallas airport, and I just wanna—I know I could find it, but yeah, I just have to. And now I wonder how I'm gonna get reimbursed because I don't have. What's the, the
0: price point on that training journal for you? What are you gonna report? <laughs> right,
1: no, three fifty. But it re, yeah, that's the only thing I care so much about. But.
0: I had the same thing happen to me. We were traveling the last two weeks as well uh, with the family, the two kids, and my wife. And, you know, we have the baby for the first time on the plane. And I'm trying to get some programs done on, like, a two-hour flight. And the baby's crying. Our kids are going nuts. Like, we have uh, 15 bags with us. And I leave my computer on the plane. And stupid me, I don't have crash plan or backup or anything. Uh, I'm just stupid in that way. And I literally had to sprint. Across the airport with about three minutes left before the doors were closing, until I could get on, it, it it was unbelievable. Like I was sweating getting back onto that flight, and my kids are looking at us like, "What? What are you doing?"
1: <laughs> well, a cu- couple things with that. Number one, don't beat yourself up over. <laughs> that sounds like something I would do, and it's so funny because I, you know, my family and and you know, whenever I my girlfriends or whatever over the years have always made fun of how. Um, Absent-minded, or how, you know. On one hand, I'm this high, high, you know, highly intelligent guy in the strength training industry that understands biomechanics and that can invent new things and publish papers and get his hopefully get my PhD. I defended December, but then I will make the stupidest mistakes. But when you read up on most, you know, like Steve Jobs, I read his biography and he had glaring weaknesses. So you 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 <laughs> to. It makes you quit beating yourself up over these things like i i do stuff like that all the time and i used to feel bad about it now i just laugh it's me you know that's who i am <laughs> but uh i have i have so many travel stories and it's interesting because last month i made i just finally got a bookkeeper so last year so i never had any clue about my money my income but <clears throat> I have a bookkeeper now, so I can track things. And I my income went down forty percent last month with all the traveling. So it's like interesting to think about because these people think they're paying you an arm and a leg. You know, <laughs> like they they ask me my speaker fee, and I they're you know I I I don't you know I don't go speaking for free, but the net result is that I lose money because I'm not blogging. You know, I haven't been blogging much at all lately. I haven't been on Facebook. I've been on Twitter. And you always say, oh, I'm gonna be, you know, I'm gonna I'm going to be blogging. I'm gonna be active. But you're not. When I'm in Barcelona and Norway, they expect you there to be participating. And you don't want to be the guy that's like, you know, in Norway we had my buddy Brad Schoenfeld, Alan Aragon, Menno Henselmans, um, Eric Helms, uh, Nick Tumanello, all these guys are there. They're all my friends. I'm not going to be like, hey guys, I'm not going to dinner tonight, I'm going to block. <laughs> so I end up not being you know, absent that week. So, But it's nice because – well, you could say it's nice because you get to see the city, but we didn't get – in Norway, Norway was really nice, they treat us really well, but we didn't have time to go sightseeing or anything. Yeah, um, they
0: put you to work up there?
1: No, we actually stayed at this resort for like the first few days, and we we did things. They it was really interesting. They had us like whitewater rafting and doing these obstacle courses, and it's just so funny to watch. Like, you know, Brad and Alan are my two best friends in the industry, but you know, I never we, we do these, you know, these obstacle courses in the tree tro- tree tops or whatever, where you have to like <laughs> leap off of things and you know catch it. Team an, building. And- <laughs> These tightrope like things and um, just watching them, how scared they get and everything. It's just kind of it's a fun, it's really like a team-building experience. So It was really, really fun but uh, it, it would have been nice to have like a day of sightseeing where we got to see things and like same with Barcelona. we Brad and I went and I, I spoke with Brad and we went out and saw different, we went out and saw the city a couple times But yeah, you're in
0: some sangria, I saw.
1: Yeah, oh my god, I didn't know. It's funny because I don't drink much, like barely all. I did in my twenties. I was a partier. (laughs) And now I'm like pathetic. The the college or the Brett in his twenties would be really disappointed in a Brett now. I have like two beers and I'm hungover the next day. (laughs) I barely drink anymore. I mean (laughs) you're just not productive, you know. So uh but I didn't know how much I liked sangria and we I drank more on the Barcelona trip that I have the previous year combined, I think so. <laughs> Brad and I would just sit there and get picture and picture of of sangria, and it's funny because I came back. I'm trying to get lean. I want to be. I'm 225 pounds right now. I wa- I would like to get down to like 215. It's just so hard for me to. I can't just say I'm gonna eat. You know this. I'm I'm gonna stick to my macros and and that's it. I I I like if i if it gets late at night and I'm hungry, I can't sleep if I'm hungry, so it's all these strategies to try to not be hungry. If I drink an energy drink, if I exercise, those things can decrease my appetite but um anyway, I got back from Spain and I had gained ten pounds, so oh, wow <laughs> had to be really strict that next week to get back down to my normal weight so
0: yeah, you know, speaking, I've been I've been watching uh, your training cycles the last like year, year and a half or so. It seems like um, that time period has been a big year for you uh, in terms of kind of getting your strength up to the point where it's damn impressive. But also with that body comp, I mean, I even saw you uh, in a top twenty sexiest trainers in the world, <laughs> some list well, online, and that. it was it was you, and you made yeah. some funny comment about it. I can't remember what it was, but. I mean, obviously, you're doing some different things this year and last year.
1: Well, let me tell you about that. It was Muscle and Fitness Hers, <laughs> top the 15 sexiest personal trainers, and the picture they used was this picture from Norway. And so this is a funny story. So uh, we go to eat that night. It's like late at night. We we didn't get done speaking till like 9:30, 10 o'clock at night. And so we had dinner at like 10.30, and the soup they gave was really, really thick. It was the creamiest soup ever. It was really tasty. But I ate my soup, and then Menno Henselman's and his, his girlfriend, Sana, she didn't, they didn't want their soup, so I ate theirs. So I had three bowls of this creamy soup. And uh, I got back to my hotel and just started puking, and it turns <laughs> out everyone who ate the soup was, felt sick. But they didn't puke. I was the only one who threw up because I ate three bowls. But I puked and then woke up in the middle of the night and puked some more and then I woke up in the morning and I was ripped. You know, I was like, <laughs> oh. So I asked, I asked uh, my girlfriend, Diane, I'm like, hey, will you take a picture of me? I look shredded right now <laughs> so I feel like it's false advertising because I'm like probably 30% more like, you know, more defined and cut than normal. But it, it got me onto the top 15 traders list, so <laughs> and I guess that's what they do in bodybuilding. They peak you know they they peak to look good for one hour. so yeah, uh, the
0: soup thing's just a different way of going dry right exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's great that That's a story that you'll be telling for a long time, I feel like. Now, with uh, with your training though, you know the last couple of years. I mean, I saw a video. Uh, I want to say it's a couple months back now, and you. I think it was four hundred, and you just repped it out for twenty something reps, and it was one of the more impressive things that I've seen over on your YouTube channel, just because it was such a brutal form of strength, and you had it on video, and it was kind of you could see the will that you did it with, but. I mean, has that been your peak uh, since you've been cutting down now?
1: So, interestingly, last night I just posted a video on Instagram. Um, I got 500 for 10 deadlift. Wow. So now I wrote on my Instagram, I said, now I feel like I've gotten the trifecta. I've gotten 405 for 20, so 400 pounds for 20 reps. 500 pounds for 10 reps and 600 pounds for one rep. I actually got 605. But the deadlift is just, that's my lift, you know? And I will tell you, I think it's funny because I, I always know who the real trainers are and who the not real trainers are. <clears throat> you know, I, even throughout my PhD, I have like 20, I always have between 10 and 20 real clients. hmm. And, you know, I feel like I've probably personal, I've probably trained more people than almost anyone in this industry because, you know, for a lot, I didn't write my, I didn't write an article until I had been personal training for 10 years. I had owned my own studio, you know, and we did high volume at my studio. So I always listen to people who are like, this is the way you squat. And I'm like, okay, my (laughs) twins that I'm, my tall, lanky five foot 10 twins that I trained, she could, they, they couldn't squat that way to save their lives, you know? Or this is how you deadlift and it's like, okay, these lanky women that I train, they can't pull that way. They can, they just have to use you know, 60% as much weight. There's nothing wrong with a high-hip deadlift if you don't round your back. There's nothing wrong with leaning forward in a squat if you don't lose your, you know, if you, if you keep an arch. Um, some people have to lean like 45 degrees for their squat, if they have long femurs and things like that, and then I they, I see this these counter arguments appear, like you know that anatomy doesn't matter much and the the, bi- the which I'm going me like who else are <laughs> they talking about? You know, exaggerate things, and I'm like, these are comments made by people who don't really train people in real life, because when you train people in real life, you see so much variation, and I, you know, even and even when I go like I went to San Diego this weekend and i on my day off, I trained four girls, you know, four women, four um bikini competitors, and working with them all, I'll give a tip, I'll give them a tip, and one of them they'll go, "Oh my God, like I feel this so much more, you know, in the glutes this way, and then one of the other girls will say no i I don't feel it as much, you know, this makes it worse." So you can't. There's not a one-size-fits-all approach to exercise form, and um, you know I, I just feel like even with program design, there's not a one-size-fits-all approach. For me, you you've noticed that I'm making a lot more progress. You know why my deadlift has gone up so much? I do like one hard set a week of deadlifts. That's it. I know that all these other people recommend high volume, high volume, high volume. Feel like I'm the only person in the industry that's not telling people to do such high volume, because my philosophy is: Why the hell would you want to get all your volume out of squats and deadlifts? The most brutal, you know, these exercises beat up your joints. You deadlift, you're good. You, there's no way of getting out of these high. Even if you have stellar form, you have these compressive forces on the spine, and nobody really stays neutral. That's a myth. There's no neutral spine. Every I have like 16 studies that all show that no matter what the exercises, the spine is moving a lot. It moves a lot. Whether you're doing kettlebell swings, squats, deadlifts, bent over rows, uh, sprinting, jumping, um, the spine moves. So you're not, so you're creating, you know, you're creating micro microtrauma to, to things. So there are exercises that nobody ever hurts themselves on, you know, as long as they have decent form and it's, back extensions, hip thrusts, you know, single leg exercises, you know, most people can tolerate those so well, sled pushing, so why not do lower or moderate intensity squatting and deadlifting so you can sustain it week in and week out and then get some, get a lot of your volume out of these other exercises. I realize it probably won't lead to as rapid of powerlifting gains, but you could argue that over the long haul it will because why train it? The strongest gym in Arizona. These these guys at Revolution, the gym I train at, they are so impressive, but they're all so beat up. You know, <laughs> I trained with them before their meet, like their last heavy day before the um, Boss of Bosses meet that the that Dan Green was hosting, and they they're all so beat up. They're like, oh god, you know, one of them's benching and he's like, I hope I, I just hope my pec doesn't tear, <laughs> and then another is squatting he's like, I hope my hip doesn't just pop out of the socket, and I'm like. Jesus, you know that that now I, I don't mind not being so strong because I don't live with fear that something's gonna snap, you know. But yeah, I and I can look at my clients. My client Sammy, she's probably the strongest girl I've ever trained. She has to do if I trained her the way the other girls trained, she'd get weaker. She's so strong, but she gets so beat up from these sessions that I have her do one top set. So she does like a couple of warm up sets and then just one top set of things. The other girl, you know, I train groups. So the other girls would be like, Why does she only have to do one set? And I said, I'll make you a deal when you can do, you know, a hundred pound back extension for 20 reps or, uh, you know, a 315 pound hip thrust for 10 reps. Or she could deadlift 225 for 12 reps. She could do 275 for three reps. I'd say, when you get to her strength, you can just do one set too. She's, because she's strong and she gets beat up from it so we have to either we have to, have to lower the effort and have her cut the sets way short we can get the volume if she just lowers the effort significantly and stops at 5 reps when she could get 10 reps but that strategy is hard to manage with progressive overload it's I guess you could create weekly volume but I've never been a fan of that approach I, I just say do one hard set to failure and we'll try to inch it up Either in weight or reps over time. But the bottom line is, people start worshiping the variables. They start worshiping the program design and not the results. I want to do, you know, I want to train this muscle this frequently. I want to do this many sets. I want to do this many exercises, this many sets, this much volume. And if they weren't so hardcore and so stubborn about these things, they could probably see better results because I auto regulate a lot you know, based on how I feel. For example, I told you I trained the, those those four four women on uh, Sunday. I was supposed to lift that day but I, after I trained them, I drank a protein shake and then I went to lift myself and my low back was tight and I'm like, because I just was demonstrating exercises and on my feet for three and a half straight hours. So all I did was just light pause squats with like, you know. Seventy percent of one RM for two sets of three, and then I did body weight back extensions. You know, a set, a set of thirty, just one set of thirty. I did some light bench press and some lat pull downs, and I left. And I didn't even really do much of a workout. But yesterday I felt like a million bucks, and that's you know I went and set my deadlift record. Um, which, that was yesterday.
0: By the six oh five was got, yesterday.
1: No, 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 it wasn't six oh five. Five hundred lat- for ten. Oh, five hundred for ten. <laughs> yeah, last wow. night, and I had been wanting that for a while. Probably like, um, probably like four months ago, I I went for it, and it was one of those days where your week is pissed. I got six reps, <laughs> and each one felt like a million pounds, and I, I just I po- I posted on Instagram because I announced it and I said I'm gonna revisit this in in a couple months, and uh, you know i I'm not ready for it. I'm not ready, but what I like is on my Instagram. I have goals, you know. I'll say, here's here's a chin up. I got 12 reps. I think I can get 15 next week. I'm going to go for 15. But when you make those goals, when you say, all right, I'm going for 15 chin ups and you know the most I've ever done is 12, you start aligning your behavior to those goals. So like, I'm going, what do I have to do to get my chin up next week? It would be nice if I lost a few pounds. So you're stricter with your eating because chin ups are always easier when you're lighter, you know.
0: Or eat some of that soup.
1: Yeah, right. (laughs) Eat some of the the the, the, get food poisoning, but um, (laughs) you you make sure you recovered on that day. You're like Monday. I need to be recovered. You might throw in some assistance lifts that you think are going to help you, or whatever you do. But having these goals, you know. I, I change it up frequently. Sometimes they're on the squat. Sometimes they're with the deadlift. Sometimes with they're with bench. Sometimes with chin ups. Sometimes with hip thrusts. And uh, that those are the things that make you leaner over time. So a lot of us lifters that have been lifting a long time, we don't change in body weight much. You know, like it's not like we're beginners who are going to lose thirty pounds. So we might stay at you know. For me, I, I'm. I'm in the 225 range right now. You know That's where I'm going to stay put for a while. But if I can gain strength, significant amount of strength over the next year, then I, I would have to add a few pounds of muscle. And if I add a few pounds of muscle and my weight doesn't change, then I will have to lose a few pounds of fat. Right. So my net weight change is zero. I don't change in weight, but visually I change because I add – Three pounds of muscle, and you, when you add muscle, it, it goes to good places. It gives you 3D pop. It gives you some shape. When you lose three pounds of fat, it comes from the you know areas you don't want it off your midsection or off your you know the places you store fat. And since fat takes up around 20 you know 18 to 20 percent more space than muscle, you do end up losing some volume too. You end up being smaller. You know a lot of my clients, they'll just stay the same weight. And it's funny. I keep them at the same macros the whole year. You know, one of my clients, she she was at 1,700 calories for a whole year, (laughs) and she just gained a ton of strength. She never changed on the scale. She weighed like one, you know, between 128 and 132 the whole year. But at the end of the year, she gained. You know, she could squat. uh, She could squat. You know, 210. She could hip thrust 385. She could do like four chin ups. She could bench, press 110, she could deadlift two forty five, and um you know, that was her first year of lifting. She'd never lifted weights, and after one year she had reached those strength levels. and her she could her, she put on her old pair of jeans, and it's just like comical, you know she could <laughs> there's about like a four inch gap there, you know, in, with her you in, in, uh, know from her belly to the edge of the jeans. And they don't, you know, she can't even wear them anymore. It's like she, she weighs the same, but she's so much smaller because she lost so much fat um, and built muscle. So that's the, the, for guys like you and I, you know, dude, we want to keep getting leaner because we've been lifting for a long time. It's not like we need to clean up our diet, you know, our diets aren't the, we've, our diets are good, they're in check. It's more through gaining strength and it gets harder and harder over the years. And I'm proud to say I'm 39 years old. I plan on looking my all-time best at age 40 and I'm still making progress. So it's it's a good feeling to know that it, at 40, I'm still learning. I'm still learning my body. I think it took me 20 years to really listen to my body and know, you know, yeah. lay off this lift right now. It's not good for you. You're hurting, you know. <laughs> With low bar squats, I can get real, it's really bad arm pain. And it's it, it inhibits my bench press, you know. Sometimes when I go too heavy on deadlifts, say I try to get greedy and I do heavy deadlifts twice in one week, you know, my maybe my back starts acting up and my you know I I start getting low back issues and then it affects my squat. So the key to me gaining strength and setting PRs is, is my joints feeling healthy, and so I I auto regulate a lot. I here's what I want to do on paper. But I'm not feeling it today, so I'm going to do this instead and then tomorrow I'll come back hard, you know. There's and lots that's to be what said
0: about the auto-regulation now too because um, so many people try to force themselves into a cookie-cutter program just for the theoretical novel of doing X program just because somebody else did it. But in all actuality, if you want to be doing this for a long time, which everyone should when it comes to strength, when it comes to fitness, when it comes to orthopedic health and body composition, if you want to do it for a long time, I think the biggest key is like you're saying, never try never to be breaking from that neutral position. So if you are using a technique, you better not compensate, overcompensate to the point where you're going to have reverberation later on in that week or you're going to really just have uh, an injury just waiting in the loom if you go to train heavy those next couple days.
1: Well, what I will say with that, okay, so yes, I agree, everyone should be auto-regulating. I mean, you have to, that is mandatory for long-term lifting success. I mean, what are you going to do if your knee or your hip or your shoulder your low back is just killing you? Grind through your squats or your deadlifts or your bench and make it worse, I mean that's, that's we've all learned the hard way that this isn't good, you know? It takes uh,
0: learning the hard way, I mean a majority of people out there, the lay people are doing this kind of stuff and they're like, it drives me crazy because that's just not a way that's going to be sustainable for life, doing but that's this fitness
1: funny. thing. Yeah, it took me 20 years to really, really, really grasp that and it's funny because last night there was a guy at the gym and and I'm like, man, you seem really down, you're usually all chipper, what's wrong? And he said, Oh, I was at the Europa uh bodybuilding show yesterday. They had this obstacle course and I decided to do it and I hurt my shoulder. You know, he's hanging from the monkey bars or something and he tore his shoulder or something. I don't know what he did, but he's like has a s he I, I didn't he brought out a sling and he's trying to do safety bar squats, you know? And I just said to him, I said, Look, I said, You're young, you're in your mid twenties. So this is stuff we all did. You have to learn the hard way because if you never hurt yourself, why would you? Why would you? Pay right. attention? You're you're invincible. We were all there in high school. I could like bounce off of a car and just keep running. You know, like. Um, uh, but over time, you you learn. You know, like I can't even arm wrestle people anymore. I won't ever arm wrestle anyone. I don't care because when I arm wrestle, the next day my the muscles surrounding my elbow are so and there's they're so sore it, it screws up my lifting for like a week or or sometimes it could be two weeks even. So I'll never arm wrestle. Even throwing the football around or something or the baseball if people are doing something like that, I'll i I'll do like fifteen throws and I'm done. <laughs> because if I throw for a half an hour, the next day my shoulder is messed up and it's just not worth it. And it's sad because yeah we look like we're in great shape you know we're we're all physically fit but we're only in shape for the things that we regularly do so if i want to start doing something like that like an activity like playing a sport or sprinting or anything like that i ease into it you have to you have to have a day where you you know go light and have like you know work yourself into it over a two week period prepare your tissues for it it's it, but yeah it's sad i don't i wouldn't i cuz i told him i go I would have never done that obstacle course. I just know I would hurt myself, you know, <laughs> um, and you'll learn this over time that you can't do the things that, you know, because it's, it's a weird thing. When you get super strong, you're almost more prone to injury, um, you know, because your muscles are strong, but little, little, little muscles, stabilizer muscles or tendons or ligaments aren't prepared for this new thing, this new direction that you're going to be working your body in. So. But yeah, it's, it takes a long time but what I will say about the neutral spine thing, it's fascinating to me how, you know, when you when you study biomechanics, you stop looking at humans as humans, you kind of, well, you kind of ignore the physiological component and just look at the anatomy and you say, what, you know, if you were studying a car or a machine or like a robot or something, there's no emotion attached to it, it's like, Here's how much stress this can take, because you know, we, we did these mathematical formulas, and we determined that this is the limit for this particular segment. Well, same thing with the human body. You can look at people's frames and you know, how come some p- bodybuilders can do upright rows and behind the neck presses <laughs> their whole lives, and they're fine, and other people do it one time and snap things up. you know? How come some people can round back deadlift their whole life? never hurt themselves and then other people deviate from neutral one time and herniate a disc or something. It's it's fascinating to think about. And it has did much, very much to do with anatomy. And you can't teach people that though. It's not like because I round back when I deadlift. But I know this the secret for me. So there was a study by Adams in 1985 and he showed that just you know, you could have, the maximal stress on the disc was, you know, it had 13 degrees of, 13 degrees of flexion in that segment, the maximum stress that could be imposed was X amount, but if you just limited the bending from 13 degrees to 11 degrees, if you just took two degrees off, end range flexion, lumbar flexion, you limited the bending stress by 50%. Well, what if you limited the flexion to half of that what if you only went six and a half degrees but it's not like you can tell a lifter "All right, bro you know you got ninety degrees of flexion range of motion in your lumbar spine between you know between L1 and S you know (laughs) you can't Uh, so just make sure you're at about 40 degrees and you'll be okay make sure no, no particular segment goes more than you know eight degrees or something. You can't do that. You can't, uh, people don't, you can't, you know, people don't have that biomechanical understanding, that kinesthetic awareness. They don't understand you. So you just, we always say stay in neutral because that's the safest approach. But with powerlifters who are willing to accept more risk, there are a lot of powerlifters who are so much stronger when they round. And I know for myself I can say, I did this for six months. I never rounded. I pulled with an arch. And I built my arch back deadlift strength from 405 to 515, so I could I put 110 pounds on my arch back deadlifting strength, and I was still way stronger. when I tested my one rep max, we had a little mini competition at our gym, and I ended up pulling I think 580, but I rounded I rounded completely, <laughs> still way stronger rounding. Um, I will never be as strong. Pulling with an arch. Even if I pulled for 10 straight years with an arch, I would still be stronger round back lifting. Uh, it's just such a weird thing, um, and it's you know it's something we don't know enough about. But a lot of power lifters are like that. They're they're told by people you gotta keep an arch, and they learn like why I'm weaker that way. I'm and they kind of learn I can round my upper back, my thoracic spine. And I can round my lower back a little bit. See, I know, John. I know exactly how much I can round my lumbar spine and get away with it. And I can feel it. And if I go more than that, I hurt myself. Right. But if I don't, and it's a, it takes a lot of years to develop that all that awareness, and the, the, um, like the commitment to not exceed that. And and, and so, anyway, it's a fascinating topic to think about, but uh it's it's a kind of a taboo topic in strength and conditioning cuz all the strength coaches the people who train general population are athletes why the hell would you let them round it's riskier and a story keep them in neutral but the powerlifters it's a whole different attitude because I train at a powerlifting gym i'd say 50% of the lifters in powerlifting round and we you know the the best learn how to much they can round and then the novices hurt themselves and are confused and oh so it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting topic that i really enjoy learning about
0: yeah i i agree and there's there's almost like a bell-shaped curve when you go through technique and form for any motion not just the deadlift and there's unacceptable and then there's perfect, and then there's everywhere in between. So like that 50% in between there, uh, that's where we need to try to shoot towards. You don't have to be perfect with everything, and nobody's going to be perfect because we don't know what perfect is for an individual unless we really just break down the biomechanics, uh, the motor control patterns, and a lot of people aren't willing to do that. But that's fine. But placing somebody just in a position where they can maybe move right or move left of that curve and have some good success with it, I think that's really the key. But as many people do, they look at these bodybuilding programs, and then more specifically, the powerlifting programs, and they're looking at things and trying to execute them where they don't have that foundational basis. They, they don't know what a neutral spine is, let alone how much rounding they can get away with without uh, being in risk of disc herniations or SI problems or anything along those lines. So I think there's a, you know, those outliers, which are the power lifters, you know, these world-class people are the people that are looking to compete. And then the rest of the population just looking for general fitness uh, to improve their patternings, things along those lines.
1: Um, Yeah. Like I don't necessarily think the power lifters are outliers in terms of like they have structures that, Allow themselves to get away with more. I think it's more that they take the time to figure out exactly what wiggle room. Like they, they, they understand the wiggle room more than anyone. You know, because they're teetering on that line. If I do this, I hurt myself and I can't gain strength. But if I do this, I can pull my best and I can demonstrate strength the best and stay injury free. And it's a tightrope that they that you walk. You know, it's a very delicate line. But, um, but with with the, it's just interesting to see the different attitudes out there because I came up in the strength coaching community, and you know it's just like neutral spine. You don't, <laughs> you don't get away from that. You know you're, you're the worst trainer in the world if you post a video of your client, you know, rounding a little bit. You are the worst trainer ever. You don't know what you're doing. And I think it's so funny because of my Instagram channel. You know, my, none of my girls got hurt this year. I'm very proud of that. I've it's taken me a long time to know. But I've also educated people on what butt wink is, what valgus collapse is. And so I get all these people commenting on my videos and it's like I show these girls one rep maxes, (laughs) people all go, watch the lumbar, butt wink. And I'm like, that amount of butt wink never hurts anyone. You know, the amount that I'm showing that this girl portrays is not dangerous at all. But they don't know that. They're like a, you know, someone who hasn't trained many people or some, you know, fresh out of their like nasm personal training and <laughs> <laughs> certificate and likes to show off his knowledge that he knows what butt, butt week is but you know I've been personal training for 20 years now and I know you just get a trained eye you know like that person you know some knee valgus you I, I, a lot of my best lifters cave their a little bit their whole lives and they don't have knee pain and it's like there's some you know Olympic lifters knee valgus a lot of the power lifters do a little bit in fact that's an argument going on in the powerlifting community that you're actually stronger if you cave in just a little bit at the at the initial the transition from the concentric into the concentric phase. So, um, so these are fascinating topics, and what you said it's we don't have like MRIs and biomechanical models where you and I can go into a facility, you know, get on a force plate with EMG and motion capture and little, you know, sensors and it can create a little avatar and it can say, and it analyzes like a MRI that looks at our bone shape and it says, okay, you actually can tolerate, you know, guillotine pressing and, uh, you know, behind the neck press because your, the heads of your, you know, humerus or your femurs are shaped in such a way and your hip socket is shaped in such a way that you can actually... You know, it's not butting up against your labrum or whatever, and you can actually tolerate this, and you've got this much range of motion. We we're so far away from offering any of those services that it's you learn <laughs> in the gym through trial and error. You have no, we have no way of knowing what our, you know, how we tolerate stress and if we're damaging the hell out of things or not. So we just have to use common sense and let pain kind of be your guide. Like, but pain is a science unto itself, so. Sometimes you can have damage with no pain. Sometimes you can have pain with no damage. So it's not a foolproof mechanism, but nonetheless, it's interesting. Uh, that's what makes this this field such an interesting field, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, every single thing, it's, it's literally like a case study of one every single time you work with a new yep. client. Yep. And it takes a coach that has that experience, uh, you know, more so than just having read every single study there is out there, but has, like you said, the keen eye to know movement and know it like the back of your hand where you can really identify things that may be putting somebody at an increased risk for an injury or a male alignment, a positioning issue, and just coaching them through that. Like the art of coaching has really been lost, but I think that's the most pivotal part of any program is the execution. What's going on, guys? I want you to head over to drjohnrussin.com forward slash get coached. We are taking coaching programs to the next level, up here in Madison, but also remotely on an online training platform. Drjohnrussin.com and our staff are truly bringing you innovative e-coaching programs built to fit any goal in any individual. Whether years in the Iron Game have left you a little bit banged up and looking for new solutions to keep on moving forward, or you're a high-level athlete, figure competitor, or bodybuilder, our programming over at drjohnrusson.com has you covered. For the fraction of the cost of a random personal trainer at your local gym, you can become an online coaching client and take your workouts, nutrition, and lifestyle to the next level. This is no cookie-cutter online program or the programs that you're used to seeing in this month's fitness magazine. This is intelligently designed, custom-built programming using cutting-edge methodology and having daily interactions with me, Dr. John Russin. The only question remains is, are you ready to take that next step to train pain-free to achieve the fitness and health goals that you've always dreamed of and do it all for less than the cost of an average personal training session? Head over to drjohnrussen.com forward slash get coached. You know, just to piggyback on
1: what you're saying, it's even worse when you train competitors, like physique competitors, who are going to compete. Because you have that peak week, and you don't know how the hell they're how the hell they're going to respond to things. So that first time they compete, you try to be moderate. You know, you don't try to be crazy with the the water and uh, and carb and salt manipulations. You know, and and, and same with powerlifting, you don't know if they compete in powerlifting, you don't know the best way to peak them. You know, some people do best when they take, you know, ten days off of lifting before the meet. Some people get weaker that way. You know, some people like to lift the the take their last heavy squat on the Monday before. Some people take it, you know, two weeks out. It's just so variable, and uh, getting you know getting people to peak that's that's even harder. <laughs> where you say the case study of you know n equals one. It's so true. You it takes <clears throat> really takes like a year of work, maybe even more, to, of working with someone to really, you really, really understand them. And that's something quote that from Nick Tumanello that I really like. He said, "You know, I may not be an expert <clears throat> on this or that, but I am the expert of my clients." So, personal trainers are such. They're so uh, <laughs> underappreciated, just like teachers. They're so underappreciated. We we really. Um, you know like i i wish i could give all the personal trainers a pat on the back out there cuz they do a lot of good and it's so energy cuz it's so you know i i train for a few hours now and i i feel like i have to take a nap i'm so exhausted it's really <laughs> requires a lot of energy it's not mindless getting people to deadlift properly to hip hinge properly and you know squat properly this is kettlebell swings my god this is hard work you know <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's, it's a process for people and it's a, a committed focus that you have to have. And I always say like as a practitioner, as a strength coach, I cannot feel what you feel. So even if I am the best physical therapist in the world, the best strength coach in the world, the best biomechanist, I still don't have that kinesthetic awareness that my client has for their own body. But by placing them in Positions that they could potentially be successful in and they can auto-regulate those positions off of what I'm teaching them That's where really the mastery comes through
1: And that's so important what you just said to tell your clients and reinforce this because so many times like you're training someone and then They'll tell you something after the fact And you're like why didn't you say that like, you know, they'll be like oh well I only slept two hours and I went hiking yesterday and hiked 10 miles. And you're like, you didn't think that was important to tell me? <laughs> so you have to tell them right from the get-go. You know, this, you have to communicate with me. If anything is feeling off, tell me. If something doesn't feel right, tell me. If you're sore, if you didn't sleep, if you have no energy, you have to communicate with me. And then when they do communicate you, with you, you, sit, you you positively reinforce it. You say, Thank you very much for telling me that. That's important stuff. I keep doing that. You know, that's really I need, need to know those things. And then when they don't tell you something and you find out, you say, I wish you would have told me that. That's really important. I you know, it, you got to help me be the best trainer for you and communicate these things. Don't don't ever feel like, you know, I'm going to be mad at you because <laughs> I won't be mad at you if you're just honest with me. Because clients lie so much, you know, I especially competitors. I have a client that <laughs> I trained her for a powerlifting meet and she never told me she was doing CrossFit the whole way through. <laughs> I'm like, oh, so her, her husband told me that. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> um, you know, the, the, a lot of these people are addicted to exercise and they, you know, or they, they don't, you know, the classic if they don't tell you that they really Cheated on their, you know, strayed from their, their macros or whatever. They went crazy one day. They don't. They feel guilty. They don't want to tell you, but <clears throat> you have to just establish that rapport with them and say, "I won't be mad at you for being honest. I'll be mad if I find out that you didn't tell me the whole story."
0: Yeah, it's true. You know, having that communication between yourself and your clients—that's uh, something that really. It takes the right person, the right kind of personality to really offer something unique in that realm. But even from like a coaching perspective, so, you know, I see people that come in with pain in my office, but we also train people as well that aren't uh, presenting with any pain. And I've seen that uh, the painful presentation, it's much easier to communicate through because one They're going to be more apt to tell you if they're having pain. And secondly, you can tell if you're a savvy coach with the way that they're positioning their body, the way that they're rhythmically moving their body through movement, but also their facial expressions, like just little simple stuff you can really tell if something's going on. On the other side of things, you have like those motor control deficits where things are just funky and you have someone that just doesn't know how to move properly and they'll say, yeah, 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 I can feel it. I can feel it here. You know, oh yeah, I can activate through there. I can get tension through here. And there's really no great way, except palpating sometimes, to figure out that stuff. And, uh, you know, if you're going to be palpating through every single set of squats, you know, that's not a good way to go about things. But I think it could be a useful tool not a lot of people are using.
1: It's an intriguing thing about motor control, but um, you can't just look at it and go, oh, that's good form. Therefore, they're using their glutes really well. And I will tell you that, you know, the girls that I worked with the other day—it's all for their first session with me. I'm trying to determine the best exercises for their glutes. And so I'm feeling, you know, s- some of the girls use their glutes really well with squats. One of them didn't. You know, um, with hip thrusts, they all use their glutes really, really well. With back extensions, two of the girls did. So I try to say these, you know, if their form looks good, but some of them just don't use their glutes much. And I will tell you a dramatic story, using EMG, well I have this girl, Devin, that I tra- that I, she was actually one of the study participants for my PhD EMG research. Well I give her lateral band stuff, like monster walks, sumo walks, band seated hip abduction, it doesn't banded clams, it doesn't matter what I give her, she gets barely any glute activation. She's doing it. So what's causing hip external rotation? I guess her hip external rotators and her glutes don't do any of it. I don't know. But she, she's getting like 8% of MVC, MVC you know, 8% of the MVIC, maximum voluntary isometric contraction. She's like, yeah, I've never understood why people like these exercises. I don't feel them in my glutes at all. But her form looks good. So I'm like, okay, maybe the EMG is malfunctioning. I'm going to palpate. I palpate nothing. She looks good, like she's using good form, and through EMG and palpation, I ascertain that, and through her feedback, you know, that all lines up. She's not, she does, for some reason, abduction and hip external rotation movements do not work her glutes, but she has some of the biggest glutes, I think she has the most muscular glutes out of anyone I've ever tested with EMG, and she's a powerlifter, and she was the only person out of the 13 subjects whose glutes... Her low, her lower glute activation on the squat was almost was was equal. I think it was e- right dead even with what she got on the hip thrust. Most wow. of the girls got way more with hip thrust than with squats. And this so this girl has she uses her glutes a ton when she squats. She gets really high glute activation through hip extension through squats, deadlifts, hip thrusts. But abduction work she gets none. So I told her don't do don't ever do any of this abduction stuff for, for glutes it doesn't it's not a good drill for you it's not these aren't good exercises for you focus on hip extension and over the next few months she built her glutes up doing more more you know focusing on the hip extension stuff doing more hip thrusts and stuff like that and her glutes got even better and I gave the complete opposite advice to my client Aaron so I'm testing Aaron in EMG and I thought it was like a flaw a fluke with the, the, the wires or something. Like I went and tested the wires to make sure they're they're hooked up properly because she's doing like a band seated hip abduction and her glute activation is going like like these peaks are going so high it's like as high as she does when she does heavy hip thrusts. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> so I go and palpate. I'm like, whoa I'm like Erin, feel this and I make her feel her own glutes. I'm like your glutes get rock solid on every rep. She's like, I know, I feel these so much in my glutes. So I said, all right, Aaron, here's what I want you to do. I go, no one gets beat up over band, lateral band stuff. Like, no one's like, like, when you, like today, I did my 500 for 10 deadlift, I'm tired today, you know, I'm a little beat up. If I had a deadlift today, I'd suck. I am beat up from those deadlifts, from deadlifting 500 pounds for 10 reps yesterday. No one is ever beat, no one ever wakes up and goes, oh my God, those band, those lateral bandwalks walks.'" <laughs> Hard to get out of bed. It's like I call it penalty-free volume. It does not hamper your strength. It doesn't have any detrimental effects on recovery or your whatever we call it CNS. You know fatigue. Um, We, it doesn't do that. So I said do these seven days a week. So she starts doing band work seven days a week, and her glutes. I swear to God, they doubled in size. I mean over like a six-month period. She won her first bikini show. She took the overall, and her glutes. I have her glute transformation on my testimonials page on my website. It's phenomenal. So there's two case studies where that show completely opposite you know, ends of the spectrum where one girl I'm telling her don't do any lateral band work and the other girl I'm telling her do these seven days a week. So it, again, it, it's what bodybuilders talk about, finding the best movements for you, focusing on the movement. And I think we can learn. Well, that's what I like. I like studying what the bodybuilders know, what the powerlifters know, what the Olympic weightlifters know, what the strongmen know, you know, what the crossfitters know, and you, you learn from them. This, you know, To me, it's never all about the research. You, if you just limit yourself to the research, you're going to be limited. It's talking to other lifters, studying what the lead athletes do, and lifting yourself, and training other people, and reading. That's where you maximize your effectiveness as a coach and a trainer.
0: I, I 100% agree. And that's the biggest reason why I respect your work above all else, um, really because you're in there training, one. You're training yourself, two. You're educating yourself on a PhD level, three. And you're synergizing all these things to make it unique for the clientele. And no absolutes are coming out of the glute lab. Uh, it's something that – I think
1: i thought that out and like put it when – you, when you log on to my blog, like that plays – what you just said plays with like – you know, Does it really? No, I'm saying I want, oh, I yeah. want to cut that out. <laughs> I'll do that. a
0: sound over for you guys. Yeah. I'll give you the forward.
1: <laughs> Those annoying sound things that come on when you log on to a website. Yeah. I just... <laughs> no, that was very nice, John. I appreciate that. <laughs>
0: uh, it's, it's true. I, I mean, we've had a bunch of PhDs on the Strength Doc podcast here, and all the ones that I truly respect They were coaches first, and they were hungry to learn about movement and to learn about training, and they took that hunger to the next educational level. And I think that's where, like, I think you and Brad Schoenfeld are just um, amazing in that realm because you've done it, and now you're studying it. It's not the other way around. You know, in PT school, they put me through four years, and they're talking about things that were established in the 1980s, and you're like... Well, obviously, we need to set a standard for practice out there so we can pass licensures in this. But there's more out there. You know, there's five years. People are five years ahead of the research sometimes. You know, some of the best coaches in the world that have thousands of anecdotal studies out there. I mean, the shit works. And then getting a validation and going back to something that you said to me when we spoke, I think it was maybe January. And you said the reason that I'm able to be as successful as I am in the industry that we're in is because every time that I release something, I over deliver on it and I create value for my consumer. And I always remembered you saying that. And it's really been hugely helpful for me in the last year or so. So, I mean, I appreciate that guidance. You probably don't even remember that you said it, but it was really special.
1: This industry is small. Everyone talks people gossip and you know, you know who the people in our industry who are legit versus the people who are just, they look at our industry as a way to you know, I will do whatever it takes to maximize my profit even if it includes lying and making up and scamming people, you know, and we all know, I I was thinking about this the other day, like think it was when I was in yeah when I spoke in the UK I said this um I was like I would rather make um 100,000 a year but have all the respect of of, you know like the guys that respect me all the guys that I mentioned that I spoke with in Norway Brad and Alan and Menno and these guys respect me we respect each other they believe me I have the respect of the sports scientists now I know a lot of general readers out there think i it's funny they think i they think i make stuff up they think i make up my research about the hip thrust they think that it's uh you know i'm just i'm selling a hip thruster so i'm just going to completely fabricate research and somehow get my five colleagues to be on the paper with me and somehow pull the wool over the peer reviewers and get this thing published in journal you know it's it's the, those people there's always going to be haters or whatever. There's always gonna be people who don't like you. But I have the respect of the high level people. And I was thinking, I would rather make a hundred grand a year and be able to speak and present with these guys um all over the world than make a million dollars a year and not have their respect. To me that's okay, say I say I made a million a year or three million a year and lived in some mansion, I'd be bored. I'd be like, I wanna collaborate with these guys. I wanna to- I, that's the highlight of my year is when I can, you know, when I have three days in or a week in Norway with these guys, and I end up learning a ton just through listening to them. So it just depends on your goals. If your goals are just to maximize profit, then study some of these marketers and scammers that, you know, will make up protocols that you know, like you know, that that force you to you know, st- like. You store fat in these three places. Therefore, you need to buy these ten supplements and get all your <laughs> clients using these ten supplements. Brilliant money-making scheme, but you know the, there's no the new research showing that that actually decreases fat in that's particular area. It's speculation. So you know you, you have fat here, so you have high estrogen levels. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. You didn't test estrogen levels. It'd be very simple to do that, you know. But um, there are people who are only primarily concerned with making money. Those people don't have the respect. They might have money, but they can never go present at conferences and things like that. And that's not what I want, you know?
0: Yeah, and that's where you leave your legacy. You gain the respect. And when the best in the industry start reaching out to you to collaborate, to see what you think about things, uh, you know at that point you're on the right track. So keep on doing it. Thanks, John. All right, Brett. I'm going to leave you with this. One last question. I know you always talk about glute training, but I have to ask you this one because I have a a personal interest in it and I also have written on this subject before. Uh, Why are the glutes the most important functional unit of musculature in the body? So,
1: like I think about this stuff all the time. I think for sprinting, I think the hamstrings are – the most important muscle. For jumping I think the quads are the most important muscle, but could be wrong about that. What's interesting is the modeling studies, and I wrote about this several years ago, the modeling studies they look at cadavers. If you've ever been in a cadaver lab these glutes are like dehydrated and completely flattened out. They're usually elderly people. So they use averages with these modeling studies. They use averages um, to average out the muscle, the muscle volume, and the moment arms, you know, like the distance, the perpendicular distance away from the um, uh, joint center to the muscle line of pull. So it's like you so vastly underestimate what the glutes do in these modeling studies. And what's so fascinating is that my intern Andrew is now going to be doing this for this place he's interning at now. He's actually creating a new model for the glutes in the sim. The Stanford um, professor created this open sim. It's called, and it contains all the data they use. And he went in there and he looked and he showed, sent me a screenshot of the glutes. And he's like, "You're right. They're so flat in these modeling studies. So I think we, I think we don't know how important the glutes are because we've never modeled it appropriate in the biomechanical literature. However, say the say in sprinting the hamstrings are the most important. Say in jumping the quads are the most important. The glutes are the most important muscle overall for two reasons. Number one, they're the only muscles that are very highly, I mean, think about what the glutes do. They do four distinct actions. They do hip extension, hip external rotation, hip abduction, and then posterior pelvic tilt. And they do those in different degrees of hip flexion and hip abduction. So, like, you can be down deep in a squat with a wide stance, so you're in hip flexion and hip abduction and a little bit of external rotation versus standing with feet together in a neutral or like anatomical position where you're a more narrow stance at end range hip extension. So they're, they're highly involved in all things athletic. It's like sprinting, jumping, cutting side to side, throwing, swinging, striking. Those summarize athletics, those actions and the glutes are involved in all of them, and hip extension lays a component for a lot of these actions that you think cutting side to side, that's abduction. It's actually hip extension and hip abduction, and studies have shown that the hip extension component is more important for cutting faster. When you swing a baseball bat or golf club, you have hip extension combined with hip external rotation in that rear leg, so it's hip extension lays the huge component to most things in explosive you know power force and power production in sports but they also are if you think about you know think about like a, a an anatomy like a muscular and human anatomy chart the glutes are like the centerpiece they're right there they kinda tie everything together only only so in the in the books in the textbooks it'll say seventy percent of the fiber is attached to fascia but i think it's more like eighty five percent about fifteen percent of the fibers attached to tendon, you know, like to the, you know, onto the femur. And most of the attachments go onto fascia. And so you you've got you know, I don't like studying like anatomy trains and things like that. I think people I think a lot of these people fabricate things, but there is a good science with the fascia, like the the, the fascia lata and things like that. If you didn't have this fascial coating, the muscles would function very differently. They hold, they wrap everything tight, and the glutes tense those things. You know, they keep, they transfer. They so if you think of the glutes, they pull rearward, rearward on the femur during hip extension, so that the the head of the femur doesn't butt up against the anterior labrum. Um, so they prevent anterior hip pain. They will keep the knees out. You know, they will help keep the knees out, and they will help you lean a little bit more when you land from a jump, and and so you don't create the stresses on the ACL. So they help prevent ACL injury. Um, they help prevent patellofemoral pain because you you use your hips more and you use your knees less. Um, they, prevent, they can help prevent low back pain in two ways. Number one, they the glutes are well oriented to transfer force across the SI joint. Um, you know the, the the they're slanted and that almost almost perpendicularly to the SI joint. So like 85% of the force is transferred, it, it, it stabilizes the SI joint, creates um, force closure and it also, if you have strong glutes, you use them more, you know, you don't move as in, in the spine as much as through the hips and so it can prevent low back pain. So I just told you that they're involved in nearly every sport action and they're involved in the injury prevention of a lot of key things that athletes injure themselves with. So, they are the keystone of the human body in my opinion. They are the most important muscle for sports and functional development. But it's important to have to say they're just one piece of the puzzle. Right. You can have athletes you see like a UFC fighters and you're like this person has no glutes and he's the best fighter, you know. So, <laughs> maybe he has very strong dense glutes but they're not very they don't have much volume, but either way They are very important and that 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 athlete could probably be better if he did have some glutes. So it's important to be like, okay, no muscle is so every muscle is important, you know, but um but I I feel very good studying the glutes because (laughs) they're so vast and they have implications for physique, like all most women that's their priority, and then also for sports and high level athletics.
0: I I agree. I mean when I break it down Uh, Obviously, I've learned so much from you in this realm in our industry, but it comes down to really being a protective mechanism for orthopedic health for the long term, you know, really maximizing athletic development and even uh, enhancing body composition, like you said, with the aesthetics gains. But uh, I loved hearing it coming from you. (laughs) Man, I appreciate your time. I know we've run a little bit over here, but uh, where can people find more of you? I know we've made reference to your Instagram page, your website, a couple other things. Um, just where's the the central hub that people can find you at?
1: Yep, so just the website. If you don't remember my name, you can type in the Glute Guy onto Google because that's my nickname, the Glute Guy.
0: <laughs> that's how you know you made it. <laughs> yeah.
1: So if you type in Glute Guy on Google my website comes up but my name is Brett Contreras and so my website is BrettContreras.com 1T and Brett and uh, that's the hub so if you wanted to subscribe to my newsletter I don't spam people ever um, if you wanted to um, follow me on social media or anything like that then that's the hub you can find all my social media links from there
0: awesome man I appreciate it Thank you for making the time to come on the Strength Doc Podcast today. Yep. Good
1: good talk, John, and thanks for having me
0: on. Big thanks goes out to Brett Contreras for making the time to come on the Strength Doc Podcast today. Between his international travel and writing his strength and conditioning research review, I know his time is very hard to come by. So thank you to him, and thank you guys for listening. Until next time, I'm Dr. John Russin with the Strength Doc Podcast, hosted by UpDoc Media.